everybody, and welcome to another Network Classic, a PTSM Network Classic, where every week we select something from the WWE Network, and uh, I do a little watch-along with you and share some of the things that were going on behind the scenes, uh, my memories of what was happening, and uh, this episode uh, right here is uh, one I would certainly remember because I was still there at the WWF. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Monday Night Raw. Now, this uh, certainly was the, the uh, early days of, uh, of Monday Night Raw, as it would <laughs> you know, go on and last for decades, uh, being the uh, longest-running episodic program in television history. But back then, we were just a few episodes in, and uh, it was a very, very interesting time. In uh, not only with the uh, World Wrestling Federation, but in professional wrestling. There was just a lot happening. It was not a great time for business. As things would eventually change, it's all uh, you know, uh, cyclical, as they say. It goes up and down. And this was not a particularly great time for uh, the world of professional wrestling with both uh, the big powerhouses, I guess you'd call them then, of course, the WWF, and uh, then we had the WCW down south. But uh, before we get into this episode, I tell you, uh, you know, what was going on in this particular episode. I kind of want, want to set the stage and talk a little bit about what was happening, because as I said, it wasn't a great time in, in uh, the world of professional wrestling, and there was a lot happening with the WWF. Uh, you know, in the early days, you know, in that ride from '85 until, you know, uh, the early '90s there. You know, big men and Vince Love, the you know the big guys, the lumbering guys, the big muscle, uh, chiseled uh, wrestlers were very popular in the WWF. They had some you know smaller guys, people like Bret the Hitman Hart, who happened to be the champion at the time when this uh, episode aired. But uh, you know, it was it was kind of a, a crazy time because there, there was others that were emerging that could do a lot more in the ring uh, than these the the big guys. But, uh, you know, they were all still around. Hulk Hogan had uh, checked out for a while. He'd been doing a lot of uh, movies. Uh, you know, this is when he was making the films, uh, The Nanny and, you know, all those other classic films that, uh, you know, at the time he was very, very popular mainstream-wise. And, you know, you'd see him on the cover of magazines and he was making you know, appearances on the big talk show circuits. And uh, he was still really, really popular. And uh, there was rumors now, though, that he was coming back and they were setting him up so that he would have a match at WrestleMania, which would uh, come into play in this particular episode. That, of course, WrestleMania 9. And uh, if you recall what happened there, uh, you know, they had uh, Brett as the champion, the WWF champion, and he faced Yokozuna uh, at that WrestleMania. And uh, they actually promoted the... uh, the Mega Maniacs uh, match against Money, Inc. over that uh, WWF championship match between Brett and Yokozuna. And then we all know what happened with the the run-in by the Hulkster and basically changing history there, becoming the champion again in about 21 seconds. So uh, it was, uh, as I mentioned, really a a very interesting time in the uh, WWF as the Hulkster comes back into the, uh, the World Wrestling Federation and uh, would be there for a little while before, of course, going down to WCW and then changing the world again uh, with the uh, NWO. But uh, really, it's uh, it, it was it was as we've talked about before, and it was a 
a tumultuous time, but necessary when you look back because it changed the world of professional wrestling forever. And, uh, you know, we all know that, you know, that situation was, was hot, but boy, it was Hulk Hogan, uh, coming down there and then everything really, really changing. And then of course, uh, getting into the Monday night wars and, uh, nothing would ever be the same again. But at this point in time, uh, when we are, uh, February 1st, 1993, uh, we're just a few episodes into Monday night raw. It's getting an awful lot of buzz, you know, people are talking about it, and it is a, a different format than the WWF was used to. So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was still getting a lot, a lot of attention. Um, this episode was Aunt May, as we say, uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of the stars of the day appeared in this one, and uh, a few, few things behind the scenes. And as I talked about with, uh, you know, the rumors, the uh, the sound out there that uh, Hulk Hogan was going to be coming back, which, I mean, I, I don't think it was any big secret, but this was their opportunity to really start laying the groundwork. We're talking February, you know, WrestleMania is not that far away. And we were coming off uh, the Royal Rumble, which was won by Yokozuna. So that's why he would come into play there and, and they'd run that angle with Brett. But uh, at the Royal Rumble, I think... Uh, Yokozuna winning it, and Macho Man was the last guy out of the ring against him. So Yokozuna getting a huge push here. But as we have mentioned many times before, many of these shows that were uh, free on television that you could watch, um, you know, were big promotional tools. That's what they they use them for. And uh, you're going to see in this episode, there's a lot of that going on. Also, folks, before we go this week here on Network Classics, I want to put this out there, a big announcement. We're going to do a fun end-of-the-year podcast that I want to involve everybody with. And uh, the way you can do it, this is for everybody out there, uh, the way you can become a part of it is just email us at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. And we will send you a link. And uh, the program is going to consist of uh, clips from the year, some of our favorite uh, clips uh, from the podcasts, and uh, we're going to be able to bring you guys on to talk about what uh, what uh, podcasts you enjoyed the most, uh, the conversations that you enjoyed, and also just get your thoughts on what's happening in the world of professional wrestling, anything you want to talk about. But I uh, thought this would be a great way to wrap up the year, and you can be a part of it. So uh, all we need you to do is just email us at primetimemooney at gmail.com. You can also contact us through uh, Twitter and Instagram or our Facebook page and let us know how we can get in touch with you. But uh, that's, uh, you know, of course, at primetimemooney on both Instagram and Twitter. But uh, the easiest way to do it is just email us and then we, we, will, we will email the link back to the uh, Crowdcast uh, link and so you can be you can join us it's going to be a lot of fun that's going to happen this sunday that is uh, december 22nd and uh join us it's it's going to be a blast once again email us at, at primetimemooney at gmail.com and i also before we get going here i want to be sure and uh, give credit to where credit is due for a lot of the notes and uh, the information that i've uh, gotten for these for this um this episode of uh network classics uh, blogofdoom.com uh, uh, got a lot of information from them and also uh, a very loyal listener and uh, boy a historian uh, he just really is David Porty who uh, always has some great uh, insight on, on what was going on at the time I don't know man he's got a 
a mind. I don't know how he uh, can recall a lot of this stuff because he'll he'll send me notes on this, and I know he probably he didn't go back and look at it. He's just doing this from memory. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We'll have to have a conversation someday. But I want to thank him because David really helps me out on all of these. And with that, let's uh, get into this episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, taking place February 1st, 1993, from the Manhattan Center in New York City, where they would uh, tape a number of these. Uh, They would begin to move those around as uh, TV tapings warranted. But um, it was this very, uh, you know, uh, great atmosphere. It was uh, this, uh, you know, uh, place where they could have a pretty small crowd. The the seats were right on top of the ring, basically. So it great it gave you. They didn't have to have a lot of people in there to make it a real exciting atmosphere, and it and it was that. Uh, once again, Vince McMahon is uh, at uh, you know calling the uh, the play by play here, along with Randy Savage, who had uh, moved into that role, doing more commentary, um, saving the day for the WWF when they needed somebody to fill in, which he did a number of times. And of course, uh, the comedian uh, Rob Bartlett. Uh, calling the uh, commentary with this, so it it, uh, it had a lot a lot happening in this one. Uh, it, one of the matches, the first one is Tatanka, as he takes on Damian Demento. Remember him? Uh, also, high energy. Uh, everybody knows, uh, remembers what that tag team was. Coco Beware, and of course, Owen Hart, uh, dressed uh, uh, very. Uh, I guess you'd uh, <laughs> like colors of the rainbow. I mean. They had everything in these outfits and the and the kind of the genie pants and uh, uh, anyway they uh, two very talented wrestlers. It's just it was uh, I, I just look back I feel bad for both of them that they had to carry out this gimmick. Uh, I think they could have done a lot more with them as a tag team uh, as they take on Iron Mike Sharp and Vito uh, Doink the Clown, uh, a big favorite among uh, <laughs> many WWF fans. He takes on Typhoon and this was a an interesting period for uh, Fred Ottman because, you know, Earthquake had left the, the WWF and uh, they didn't really know what to do with, with Fred. And so he's still going around doing these, the Typhoon gimmick, but as a singles. But uh, he's, you know, in this uh, episode, they're uh, giving Doink the Clown a push and uh, they call on Typhoon to, uh, so we say, uh, put him over. Uh, Yokozuna, of, of course, with Mr. Fuji, who always called him Yokozuma. Uh, as you'll see, uh, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan will come into this, and uh, again, apparently he learned to pronounce Yokozuna the same uh, place Mr. Fuji did. Or maybe he got it from Mr. Fuji, I don't know. Uh, as he takes on Bobby DeVito, and uh, Lex Luger is a part of this. And as I talked about the uh, the situation here with uh, you know Hulk coming in and uh, coming back, and uh, Lex Luger... Uh, you know, this is somebody that Vince was enamored with. He lo- he loved Lex Luger. He loved his uh, his chiseled physique, and he you know the, and good looks. I mean, he had it all. And Vince had foreseen or was hoping that uh, he might be his next Hulk Hogan. And uh, this was in February. Uh, remember, uh, we jettisoned here a few months down the road when a few things would transpire that they really wanted because, uh, remember, Lex Luger was a narcissist. Well, then they wanted to go with this All-American gimmick, and uh, we know the big, remember the big body slam on the aircraft carrier, and then the tour that just never really uh, sailed, shall we say. 
<laughs> it, it sunk. Um, also in this episode, you're going to see Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And uh, Brutus had been around, uh, kind of floating around. Uh, you, you guys will all recall that that uh, in July 4th, 1990, um, you know, a few years before here, he had that horrific parasailing accident that he almost died from. And if you listen to the podcast where he really gets into it, it it's just amazing really how close he came to death and uh, did not get the emergency help that he needed immediately. And it's just amazing that uh, he was even able to, you know, function, let alone step back into the ring. And uh, you're going to see in this episode that uh, he comes on and this is where they're starting to talk, you know, lay down the groundwork here for uh, the Hulkster coming back and Brutus coming back to the ring. Now, it wasn't as though he hadn't been in the ring at all or hadn't been around the uh, WWF. Remember, he he had come in and they uh, had him take over kind of a Piper's Pit uh, situation with the, uh, the, uh, the barbershop. And the most famous incident out of that whole stint was, of course, when Shawn Michaels blasted Marty Jannetty through the window uh, with the kick. And uh, that didn't last for too long with, with Brutus. And he comes on and cuts this promo that you're going to see, which is kind of sad. It's kind of pathetic. You know, they always used to say with these promos, you could have a ring of truth to it. Uh, the Hulkster did this a lot where he would just talk about experiences of, you know, riding his motorcycle down the Pacific Coast Highway. And, and I could imagine that that certainly happened, dipping his toe in the ocean and that kind of thing. But in this, it guess it's a little too close to reality. And it, it, it doesn't come over as a great promo. It actually comes across kind of sad and, and actually, uh, uh, you know, he comes out to cut this promo and, and mentions how, you know, the, the struggles that he's had and that he, uh, his wife had left him for some bar fly, I think he says in this. And uh, the crowd, it's just, it's weird. You'll, you'll, you'll hear it. Um, but not, not a great promo as they try and uh, start to uh, build this up to have him come back. And he keeps mentioning the Hulkster. So you're naturally going to think they're going to be doing something with them together, which we would see happen. But, uh, you know, ugh, just uh, c- cringeworthy, as you will see in this. Um, also, we've got uh, an appearance. Uh, you know, and they did these great vignettes, um, the series. Remember when Mr. Perfect... And they had the gimmick with Mr. Perfect is they did a bunch of these vignettes and uh, they had done another one in the series. And uh, this one is, uh, I, I, I don't know. It's uh, not one of the best. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that where if uh, you remember um, you've got uh, Mr. Perfect and he's showing how great he is with, with tossing a football. And, uh, you know, so that's going to be in there uh, as well. Uh, not one of the best, but I, I used to love those vignettes they, when they would do them. They were they were fun. And Kurt was great at them. Um, you know, he he had he was a natural athlete. So a lot of the stuff that you would see on uh, on tape here in these vignettes, you know, he were actually it was actually pretty amazing where he would he would make that you know, 50 foot putt and he might have to do it a few times, but he did it. And, uh, you know, the other one where I think he's, uh, like at the three point line and, and basketball and he throws it over, 
his head not looking and makes the shot. And uh, they were they were, you know it was it was cool stuff. That was good. This one is is uh, not not one of the best. That's uh, I'm I'm going to leave it at that. So I'm hoping that you guys are all queued up uh, here, and uh, you know how we do this. You go to the uh, wwenetwork.com. And then you go to in-ring. You'll click on in-ring. And Raw's the first thing you see there. And so you're going to click on Raw. And then it's got another drop down there that says most recent. Most recent. And then click on 1993. And then once you get to that page, you're going to go all the way to the bottom. And it's uh, one of the episodes right there at the bottom. We're talking February 1st, 1993. Uh, then you're going to uh, click on that, and we will then do it together. See, the member, I'll just uh, count you down, three, two, one, play, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay, so a uh, quick pause here so that you can uh, make sure you're all queued up. Then we'll come back, and we will get to this episode of Monday Night Raw. Okay, now you've come back. That's good. So that means we can get started here. Everybody's all queued up to go. And uh, this is an entertaining episode, uh, not one of the best, I will say, but uh, once again, it's uh, it's a good one, you know, because there's so many people in this uh, from the day, and uh, uh, it was it, it's interesting how their lives would change over the next uh, years uh, on the way here. Uh, what one quick note here is usually they started these with uh, a cold open. And uh, I don't know if it was cut or they didn't have one because I don't recall. But on this episode, uh, they just start with the animation. They start with the open to the show and they go from there. So that's what we will do. All right. So you're all set. Ready? All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. And here we go. As I uh, mentioned, we're going to have the animation start right from the beginning. Monday Night Raw, which is, I, I thought this was a very cool open back then. I've, I've said that before, but Kevin Dunn and those guys just did a great job. Way ahead of its time. And that kind of uh, negative uh, look, you know. And Vince fired up as usual. And right off the bat, they get to it with Tatanka's music. And the folks doing the tomahawk. And wow, boy, they just got right to it. No, uh, they didn't have the announcers setting the stage or anything. So, wondering what was happening at this point. Maybe just trying something different. But uh, Vince is saying it's live. So, I don't know. Interesting choice here. Yeah. Taking on Damian Demento. Big roll up here. Wow. Now, Demento's a big, big guy here, and uh, I'm surprised that he didn't uh, get more over. But uh, it's one of those guys that uh, just... Thought they probably thought they had a good gimmick going with it, and it just didn't get over. Uh, 
And Tatanka, showing off some strength there. I mean, that uh, that's legit stuff. Big uh, forearm right to the throat sends Demento over as he continues to talk to whoever the <laughs> people were, <laughs> whoever out there. Uh, big chop. Boy, you could hear that, man, throughout the entire Manhattan Center. Oof. Yeah, they love to deliver those, man. Test of manhood there. Chop takes him right off his feet. Tatanka keeps up the pursuit. And... This says, uh, you know, as I said, they got a big promotional tool. They got a lot to promote in this this episode. As uh, Vince already starts to talk about, oh boy, that was you know that was a forearm right to uh, the chest of Tatanka drops him to the canvas. As Demento starts to get a little offense going here, And there's an elbow right to the uh, the forehead of Tatanka. Takes him off his feet. Drops the leg as uh, that impresses Macho Man. Tries to go for a cover here, but uh, easily kicks out of that one. And this is, uh, you know, uh, one of those those matchups where this is, a you know, put him over. And with, with, with a quality opponent on this and Demento served up this matchup at it very adequately tries to go cover here and as I mentioned Tatanka was getting a huge push at this point um I don't even think he'd been uh, he had lost yet since his arrival in the WWF and uh, they were you know giving Demento some TV time but he was mostly just getting rolled over by these superstars. And as I've talked about before, I mean, you don't want to put him in there with somebody that, you know, is for a squash match. You want to have Tatanka beat a quality opponent, which in this case uh, was Demento, who had been called on to do this. And uh, as David Porty mentions in his notes here that... uh, a few weeks earlier, he had a uh, job to The Undertaker on the first ep- uh, ever episode of Raw. You remember that one when we've done that. We did that first episode. So, you know, they were they were giving him somewhat of a push, but not, you know, the, not not much. I mean, <laughs> can't, can't call that a push. As Demento's trying the double axe handles here on the back of Tatanka to, he's not selling it. There's uh, not having any effect on him. And a big chop. I don't know. How could I? Well, I guess probably just from the pain will take you off your feet. But <laughs> And I think this match went about uh, a little over four minutes. They kept these moving along. As the, the Fink comes in and make, uh, makes the announcement that it's Tatanka, victorious. And this sounds like a good place. This looks like a good place to get some kind of a promo in here, right? I don't even know what it is, but I just have a feeling it's coming. Now, this is the first time we we see the announced team at ringside. 
So they were trying different things. Oh, yeah, and of course, okay, headlock on hunger, which, okay, it's a charity. So that's a good thing is Brett the Hitman Hart comes out. I believe this is at Madison Square Garden, he said, with a check for headlock on hunger, which was one of the WWF's causes. The check for hundred grand. That's that's a lot of money. And Brett the Hitman Hart is a great champion. At the time, they needed him. They really did. As Mean Gene holds a mic. Never got enough credit for what he did for the company at that time. And as uh, I mentioned before, we got this thing rolling. What happened at WrestleMania Nine was kind of like, come on. Couldn't have come up with a better way to do that. But, you know, Brett obviously was not pleased. I think if you've heard some of his comments and, uh, of course, that uh, conversation that we had at uh, StarCast when we did the uh, Hitman in his own words. So that was, you know, that's one thing that was great about the World Wrestling Federation. And whether it was self-serving or not, they... It's of course it is. I mean, it helps put the company over, but at the same time, they didn't have to do all that they did, and they gave away a lot of money, as they still do to this day. But even back then, they recognized that. As uh, Vince McMahon, tuxedo clad, uh, center of the ring for an interview, as they bring in Brutus the Barber Beefcake, who gets you know pretty warm reception here, as he's uh. You know, Brutus, Brutus again. Uh, uh, the parasailing accident had happened in 1990, so we're three years down the road here. And uh, we've talked about it in great detail, especially in that episode that we, the first episode we do with Brutus, where he really goes into detail about everything that happened to him and basically his entire face rebuilt. All of the. Uh, titanium and steel and uh, all the screws in his face and you you've seen the x-rays and and Vince says something in here you know like the first time we've seen you since the parasailing accident in the ring and that's not true but uh you know you got to move things along here and Brutus says I got to make a very special announcement he's going to return yeah See, longing for the the, uh, glory days as Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And Vince, you know, uh, hoping that uh, they're going to be able to turn things around here, maybe by pumping some of the the other superstars who had found great success. As Vince uh, talks about the the, the, uh, horrible accident. You know, when should he, you know, take a risk here? Because, but, you know, he'd been in the ring several times and would wear a mask, although I don't know how much good that mask would have done if he ever took a real shot to his face, which happened. But Brutus needed to make a living, you know, and he was financially struggling big time. So he's talking about, you know, just before the accident happened. Of 
talks about how, you know, his mother passed away from cancer. Oh, man. And then remember I said this is kind of, you know, you talk about reality, the edge of reality, and how you bring that into it. This is before the accident, you say. He lost his parents. And he's, he's talking about his wife. Uh, he talks about how his wife then served up divorce papers. Man, it's like... Yeah, Vince, we know it's before the accident. Right. So he lost his parents. His wife ran off with some barfly. And uh, in, in David's notes, and I didn't hear it, maybe I was talking over it. They said that somebody yelled out for the crowd, kill yourself. <laughs> like, oh, you know, it's not going well. And then he say he gets to the parasailing accident. So after all this happens, then he's almost dies. I mean, that's a shoot with his, uh, uh, you know, awful situation. And this, of course, leading up to the Hulkster, how the Hulkster was there for him, and you know, that is legit too. The Hulk, uh, Hulkster was there. Uh, Hulk Hogan was there for him throughout and uh, helped uh, take care of him in a a, a number of ways. Guys are friends for life. So I, you know, I think about like, was this backstage? They said, you know, just tell the story. You know, people are going to feel for you and, Maybe it was too much, but he was really at this point, and he's talked about it, how bad he was struggling. I mean, he had put a ton of money into uh, a restaurant out in California, I believe, and, uh, you know, he just couldn't work. So how, you know, he couldn't make money and he really needed it. He was uh, in in trouble. The Hulkster, I mean, uh, Hulk Hogan uh, was there and then. Still had a great deal of influence with Vince McMahon wanting him back, and Brutus was part of that deal. There are times, you know, when uh, a lot of people were in that situation, and Vince uh, helped them out. They had to, you know, get over. But uh, we know how that would all end up, and... uh, but he wasn't, you know, like after 93, he was pretty much done with the WWF, but uh, would go down and uh, end up getting work with the WCW for years and uh, working for independent organizations. So I think everybody's kind of getting the idea that uh, the Hulkster is going to be back and it's going to have some kind of uh, uh, angle going with the beefcaker and that's a nice nice shot of that kid picking his nose (laughs) hey it's live television folks that's what you get so this promo first of all was just way too long is they've lost the crowd here it's just uh, i can't believe that they uh went with this i mean it's just it's 
longer than that match we just saw. <laughs> yeah, that could have come two minutes ago. You you want to get back in the ring? Yep. Can't hear what they're chanting here, but I don't think that it's. I got nothing. He's like, (laughs) oi. Yeah. I don't know if Vince, you thought would have sensed this more, but you know, they got, they got uh, television time. They got to do everything's down to the minute. And they just kept this thing going and going and going. Oi. And, uh, you know, Brutus saying, basically, there's nothing that can stop me. I got nothing to lose. And, you know, and he issues this challenge to all comers. You'll take on anybody in the WWF. And, you know, there were, there were a lot of the... Uh, Wrestlers with the WWF at the time were a little fearful to get into the ring with him because they didn't want to be the one that, uh, you know, collapsed his face or something because things did happen. You miss with an elbow or a knee or, you know, they they just were a little wary of it. But uh, Brutus, like I said, he had nothing to lose here and he needed to make a living and was willing to risk it all because... There was nothing else that he was necessarily skilled to do that was going to make him a lot of money. And so he went uh, back into the ring. As a uh, plug-in, a WrestleMania promo, WrestleMania 9. Bret Hart facing Yokozuna. And as I said, uh, they didn't have that as the main event. They had the tag team match, the... Money Inc. taking on the uh, Mega Maniacs. And you've got uh, reaction from, wow, that's, uh, that's a little risque for even Monday Night Raw. Steak Tartar is raw. Okay, it is. Yep, indeed. Yep, indeedy. Okay, and here comes High Energy. Coco Beware and Owen Hart, and maybe which could be argued to be two of the worst outfits that wrestlers, professional wrestlers, had to wear for a gimmick. Basically, uh, genie outfits. Uh, I think that uh, MC Hammer, uh, <laughs> it's a little MC Hammer, yeah. And with with suspenders, uh, Owen had that went with those, just awful. And Vince continues to push uh, Brutus, putting him over. Uh, just, oh, I can't get over those outfits. Poor Owen having to wear those. That's Iron Mike Sharp, everybody remembers him. Uh, enhancement talent. He was definitely enhancement talent. He uh, no, he wasn't a jobber uh, because he was, you know, had uh, had a lot of success. 
Uh, they actually, you know, put him over for a bit early on, but uh, he would pretty much be relegated to putting over the superstars on the lines of Steve Lombardi. Drop toehold there on quite a ring tactician, as they say. Can work with anybody, even a lumbering superstar like Iron Mike Sharp. And to make the tag in comes Coco. And now he gets to just destroy this guy. You know, and Coco uh, was never really uh, real easy on these guys, man. He just destroyed them. Anytime he got the opportunity to be in the ring with these guys, man. But that's what it was all about, is to make him look uh, ferocious in the ring. Drop kick off that top rope as Owen brings over the legs and gets the uh, the cover there, or the three count. High energy racks up another victory. As they take on uh, Mike Sharp and uh, Von Cruz, I guess this was his name. <laughs> And quick time out there as uh, they plug the match coming up between Typhoon and Doink, the clown. As we're going to take a look back now at uh, what Doink did. And I think this is the one with the, the fake arm that he pulls out and begins to beat Crush with. There it is, see? Only captured by... (laughs) Boom! And people shocked by his behavior. God, I would love... Doink was a great character. I imagine when they first started, like, God, they had no idea if it was going to go over. But he did a great job with it. He really did. Doink. Like, you know, it just appealed to people. I mean, who likes clowns? I mean, like that, but you know, that, that, that there was a big, (laughs) especially creepy clowns, right? Uh, they scare everybody. I don't care adults and children. And and Doink uh, was definitely the guy who could do that. He was tremendous at it. And we got Joey Morella in there as uh, he's the the ref for this one. And here comes Fred Ottman, Typhoon. And. Uh, you know, Matt Bourne was getting a big, big push with this uh, as Doink the Clown. And, you know, it, it, like I said, it was nobody really knew how it was going to take off. But the thing is that he could, he, the guy could really work. And he relished the, the role as that evil clown and really, really pulled it off. Uh, you know, Fred, at this point, you know, we, they, they were the natural disasters. He was teamed up with uh, Earthquake. 
And, uh, you know, after, after John left, uh, earthquake had left, uh, they didn't really know what to do with typhoon. They, they, it was, you know, his gimmick was pretty much over, uh, over in the sense that people really liked them, but also over once he lost that, that union with, with earthquake because they were really doing well as the, uh, natural disasters. And so this was a, another matchup where, you know, they wanted to put Doink over and what a great way to do it than with Typhoon. But then, you know, this, this point, then they start having uh, these, you know, having uh, Fred having to do these jobs. And when that starts happening, you know, you're, you're kind of on the way out. And Bourne was, was great. Uh, with you know as far as uh, in the ring so that you know it added that uh, if he was kind of a a bad wrestler I don't think it would have gone over so well but he could really work in the ring I mean he was he was great and then the fact that he could he just was such a heel when he would be out uh, you know with the crowd and pulling off those you know pathetic pranks on people but they were you know they were funny Look how dark uh, Typhoon uh, Fred's hair is there. And he talks about how he had to dye his hair. He was prematurely gray. And he said that was one thing that he was glad about when it, when that was over, was that he didn't have to dye his hair all the time anymore. Thumbs to the eyes there as Doink continues to try and break down Typhoon. Joey forces the break. Tries a big shot to the head of Typhoon. Taking full shots to the head and uh, Fred, not selling them, flies into the arms of Typhoon. Big body slam. Now that should do it for Doink, right? Didn't go for the cover. Slams him over to the corner. The whip, and then Typhoon moves out of the way, or, or tries to come driving in. Doink moves out of the way. There's an elbow or a shoulder block, and uh, Doink comes out on top. And that is a real face of anguish on uh, Fred's face, uh, kind of thinking, okay, now, now where am I in this, <laughs> in this company? Oh, boy, how evil can you be? That is one evil clown. (laughs) Has to jump up to get his jacket. (laughs) Oh, and here's another one of these promos. They spent some money on these things, you know. They had... uh, You know, with these... uh, You remember this promo? It was a good one. The WWF Mania, hosted by Todd Pettengill. Yeah, Saturday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 central. 
And there's Todd Pettengill with his members-only jacket. What a fashion plate. And, you know, Todd was on the radio. Uh, Fashion-wise, I don't know if that (laughs) worked back then. Maybe I just don't remember, but, man, we had some awful fashions back then. Members-only jackets. Look at this. What is he? Is that? Does he have a tie on, or has he just got it buttoned up with that shirt? Talking about the giant Gonzalez. Vince just uh, loving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we move along. So Howard uh, now going to do an announcement. And this is right when Andre the Giant had passed away. As he had died a few days before in in France as he had gone home for a funeral and uh, they were, uh, you know, honoring him on this episode of Raw. So as Howard asked everybody to rise for a tribute to Andre the Giant, and I believe they're going to show some pictures of him. And uh, those are from the early days, Vince and Andre, as they do a 10-bell salute here. And it's unfortunate if you guys saw that um, that documentary that uh, HBO had, uh, did. The way it ended up with uh, with Andre and the WWF, because you know he had meant so much to the company. And as uh, Vince discusses, and de- you know, I just think that they could have gotten a little more in depth in it because I don't think people really understood what Vince was was you know trying to say in this. Uncut, uncensored. Wow, man! They this is uh, back then. That's a that was a lot of skin to show on network television, <clears throat> cable network television. But still, and then we're pushing uh, Ico Pro and the champion Brett the Hitman Hart, all connected to WBF. We'll talk about that later coming up in this matchup or in this show. And then you've got, uh, you know, the wrestling figures. And, uh, of course, Randy Savage, who made a ton of money off those uh, slabs of meat, those little those Slim Jim sticks. Oh, yeah. He would take that down to the WCW as well, that deal. And in comes, uh, we, you know what that music represents, Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji. No longer we have the top hat, rather dressed in traditional Japanese garb. That's a sumo. But, uh, you know, talking about uh, the situation with Andre and uh, and the WWF, and Vince in particular, that Andre wanted to continue to make appearances not necessarily I don't think you know he couldn't move very well in the ring at all but it was getting to the point where it was really it was sad to see Andre struggling to you know try and even get into the ring he just couldn't do it his body was in just such bad shape and Vince didn't want to see him out there anymore and it wasn't because oh he wasn't going to sell tickets it was out you know it was just didn't he he didn't want to see him 
uh, in that light before and the you know the public eye still and so they didn't he didn't want to have them make appearances for the WWF anymore and, and Andre took it personally and it's really sad because I think Vince was really trying to protect him and his image and how people would remember him and Andre didn't see it that way and uh, it's just sad that that's how it ended up between the two I don't know if they ever had a conversation before that that made it different but you could see in that interview with Vince that that is something that still affects him uh, you know quite a bit whenever he's asked about it and wants to ch- and wants to talk about it but uh in this match right here we've got uh, Yokozuna uh, facing Bobby DeVito uh, I think you all know how this is going to end quickly and not well for Bobby <laughs> And a big kick, you know, and you look at Yokozuna, I was always amazed. And this is, I think, pretty much at his lightest in the WWF because, man, he would just pack on the pounds where uh, they even sent him to a, a place to lose weight and he just wasn't having any anything to do with it. And they've got uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Remember they used to do these, they'd do these phone calls. He said, Yoko's, and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's on the phone. Oh, boy. So here, going to push a little angle with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And uh, as Hacksaw says, I, you know, whatever you call him, because he mispronounces his name, calls him uh, Yakazuma. Uh, and Vince corrects him, and he says, ah, oh, whatever, it's some Japanese name, which... Was part of the angle, and and right here, you, boy, uh, Zuna, Yoko, not uh, not kind to this guy. I mean, just beats the living crap out of him, hard into the corner, and this guy's just praying, is this thing over soon? <laughs> but the worst is yet to come, because he's going to have to uh, handle all those hundreds of pounds. Slams down in this guy's chest. And they used to say that uh, Hacksaw not about to disappoint his country. You hear him there in the background. But they always used to say, depending on uh, if whether or not you pissed Yokozuna off, how, how that landing went. And uh, as the story goes, that somebody had, uh, one of the these jobbers had made disparaging remarks about Mr. Fuji. And uh, Yoko pretty much destroyed the guy. I think he broke ribs and everything when he, cause he didn't, uh, you could see he could hold up with the legs if when, depending on how hard he wanted to come down on you. And man, as I take the time out there, Yoko gets a quick victory there, uh, two minutes and three seconds. They just long enough to let Hacksaw Jim Duggan come in with a phone call. And now you got Vince once again up with the microphone as they bring in uh, Money Inc. Of course, with uh, Jimmy Hart, along with the Million Dollar Man, and IRS with his briefcase. As they're the tag team champions. And they've got uh, you know this is a this is a a good good storyline I thought.
But they're trying to set up, uh, you know, the match as uh, the Hulkster and Brutus would form the Mega Maniacs, Mega Maniacs, I should say, as uh, Money Inc. teaming up here. As Ted DiBiase uh, makes fun of Brutus the Barber Beefcake, calling him Humpty Dumpty. Erwin I R Scheister, IRS. And Jimmy Hart as uh DiBiase's going on about uh, that promo that Brutus had cut in the ring. Saying about how he's you know lost everything. And uh DiBiase saying, you know, when you got your face smashed in, you knocked a screw loose because why in the world would you ever want to get into the ring with them? Not smart as far as he's concerned. But this was a good, you know, uh, a good angle, I thought, to teaming up uh, DiBiase and IRS. So we would see that develop and uh, eventually they'd have that match at WrestleMania 9. He's always got a coin. He's got always got money. IRS going to flip a coin. And see who's going to get a shot at saying that uh, they're going to accept the challenge and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. All oh, flip of the coin. And Jimmy Hart is, uh, you know, it's nothing to do with it. Why are we wasting our time with this guy? As uh, Jimmy Hart advising against this. This is, as as Ted says, it's just, you know, it's just for fun. This is just going to be recreational. We're going to take quick work of him. And reminding everybody he hadn't been in the ring for three years, although he had, uh, you know, if you remember that he was, he would don a mask and attack people, but that didn't go on for very long either. But Brutus just, you know, wanted to work. And he had to convince uh, everybody with the WWF that he could actually do it and there wouldn't be, you know, a situation where, of course, something might happen. They didn't know if he, if he got body slammed, if his face would cave in. They didn't know. And I'm sure he had to sign everything uh, there. You could imagine from the WWF that uh, if something happened, they were not liable. So you've got uh, IRS and the Million Dollar Man ringside here. And this is really just kind of promo. They're not... Uh, They're not working. They're just uh, out here for this to uh, start setting up. You know, remember, a month's away. And that's what they would do back then, which was great. They had time to set these things. And this is February, guys. You got 
you know, more than two months. As they uh, cut that promo and head uh, backstage. And then you've got, here's uh, Lex Luger. Wow, some guy just flips him off right in front of his face. Jeez. Oh, my God. As uh, the music was bad. And and I don't know, I don't know if Bobby ever could say that word or he did it just as uh, to uh, on purpose. But the, the narcissist, the narcissist, you know, it's like, but uh, just bad all the way around. It just the music was awful. The whole thing with the mirror, I didn't, you know, what the hell. Um, but they, uh, you know, uh, he was with the WCW, and then they wanted him in the WWF, but he was under contract to the WCW. And so Vince, of course, had the WBF going. There he goes, got the mirror, as Vince says. But uh, so he brings him on board to help promote the WBF until he could write out his contract. And then, uh, of course, he had the motorcycle accident in there. But uh, here he is in the ring in February of 93. And he looks fabulous. I mean, as usual, there's no question that uh, Lex Luger was uh, quite a physical specimen. But just had it all. And... Yeah. Oh my, the Rosati sisters. One of the Rosati sisters making an appearance, and Luke's, uh, Lex Luger is not happy about it. You remember the Rosatis, right? They would come on primetime all the time and uh, just allow Bobby to just berate them for not being very attractive or. Uh, you know, uh, had weight issues, maybe Bobby would that another example of stuff you just could not do. And this is that vignette I told you about. These were, you know, these were the, the, the series of them were really good. I thought, you know, as tight end, you know, as Steve Jordan there. They would do these with uh, celebrities when they did another series of these. And this one is, uh, you know, him catching passes from Mr. Perfect. And then the big payoff is coming. They didn't know how to do a whole lot here. And he says, oh, man, you just, you are the perfect passer. Perfect passer. What do you think is going to happen? Here we go. As he drops back and big pass. Okay. And he pauses and then takes off. <laughs> and they drag this thing out. That first part was 48 seconds long. I think him running to catch this pass is like a minute, a minute long. And they just keep going back to Jordan. And he's like, oh, oh. And then you're going to see him, you know, you can mouth the words like, wow. <laughs> Uh, you know, today, you know, they probably could have made it look a lot better. Have you could have even seen perfect, you know, running fast down the field. He makes a catch, you know, throwing the pass and catching it because he's perfect. P- 
Perfect. Yeah, not one of the best ones, right? As we get back to this uh, matchup between the uh, the narcissist, Lex Luger, and Jason Knight. How long do you think this one's going to last, folks? Not long. And uh, we would also soon see, um, you know, after WrestleMania and Vince uh, hoping that, uh, you know, his long-awaited wish of finding somebody who could possibly replace the Hulkster, it would be Lex Luger. And that's when they started the whole uh, American angle, All-American, and uh, the lead to him body slamming Yokozuna on the deck of the aircraft uh, carrier in in New York City. And a great, great story that Lex tells uh, about that is that, uh, and, and another side that he didn't even know about, this is you know, something I think that Bobby told the story of that, you know, Yokozuna, the, the, the canvas that they had in this ring, it was, uh, you know, it was a very hot day in New York City. Oh, big. So this is, you know, they go in and they just destroy these jobbers. But uh, the canvas, you know, was a dark color. I can't remember if it was a blue, a dark blue, or, but um, the canvas was just really, really hot. And part of Yokozuna's gimmick, I mean, he didn't wear shoes. So he could barely stand on top of this canvas without getting his feet burned. And uh, and the other thing with the canvas, too, is that that uh, Lex Luger talks about is that when he went, you know, arrived on the deck there, uh, he was wearing cowboy boots, I believe, he says. And it w- they were like, uh, like he was on ice. He couldn't get any footing. And so he really gave credit to uh, Yokozuna and making it, uh, you know, making it happen. Because if you ever watch it, it was executed really well. And uh, Yokozuna showing his agility there and how he, you know, helped him pull that off without him going down too. Unfortunately, it just, uh, you know, like that day on the deck, it uh, that whole that whole. Uh, <laughs> Angle just melted. It just never really took off. And he never was able to fulfill that wish by Vince for him to be the WWF champion and be the next Hulk Hogan. He pins the guy with one finger on his chest. That match was all of two minutes and 38 seconds. And he had to show, you know, just how how brutal he was. He's not done with a guy. Kyoto tries to uh, back him off, the referee there. It's a little tosses him across the ring. Disdain. Yeah, that just uh not good. It just, uh, you know, you could hear that crowd there. It is kind of, yeah, that's great, awesome, whatever. That uh, Lex Luger, you know, uh, man, I mean, it was like this much-anticipated return. And that whole connection to the WBF, that was a, 
another ill-fated venture by Vince. As we get in our last plugs as they wrap this thing up. So, you know, at this point, things are really up in the air for the WWF. Uh, They don't really know what's happening with, uh, you know, they're hoping that uh, Hulk is going to be able to reignite uh, what he had uh, brought to the WWF before. And uh, they build that up for WrestleMania and the Mega Maniacs. Um, and he just it just was never the same. And it's not to say that uh, Hulk Hogan wasn't popular. It's just it wasn't like it was before. And it all came with how, you know, things went down and, uh, you know, all the excess, success that he had. And then, of course, one way to make these, uh, these films and would come back here and there. But uh, it just wasn't ever, you know, it's just the way things played out. Of course, as I mentioned, Hulk Hogan would go down to WCW, find great success down there, and really uh, help ignite the Monday Night Wars between uh, the WWE and the WCW. And we all know how that ended up, but it would change the world of professional wrestling forever, right? It just uh, and for the and for the better because it uh, you know it brought um, you know some parity to to uh, the business and uh you know these wrestlers finally getting paid what they were they deserved i mean they were performers who were the ones that were the reason that all this money was coming in and they should have gotten a lot of it and uh so this this changed things and and the wcw you know paying those outrageous contracts at the time what they were considered but now you see what's happening today and uh these guys get guaranteed deals and they, some of them make a tremendous amount of money um, and also get uh, part of the merchandising. I think I saw something the other day, though, that was really interesting that comparatively, though, even today, on how much the um, athletes, professional athletes, get as far as the, you know, gate takes and, you know, ticket sales and TV deals that they have to air uh, these contests and, it's, and the merchandise and the, and what their share is it's a way 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 higher than what uh, professional wrestlers get um i don't know the numbers and I, I i'd have to do a lot more research on that but i'm just i just saw that and i but at the same time when you compare it to what was happening back there in back then in the early 90s man it was uh you know they were still doing a ton of uh, house shows uh they were getting paid from the the gates that they had, you know, um, and they were not getting a huge percentage of merchandise. They had no guarantee contracts uh, with the WWF. It was basically you come in and they'd guarantee you, you know, a minimal amount of dates. And uh, they would just say, yeah, well, well you, we, you know, pretty much you can depend on making this much. But there was nothing that uh, guaranteed them anything. And if they got hurt, it, they were out of luck. So... Uh, it was the you know the beginning of an era that would change professional wrestling forever, and of course wouldn't peak until we, the end of the '90s there. But wow, it was just uh, a, a, a tumultuous time. I think is the word I used before about uh, what was happening with the uh, the WWF at the time, which of course WWE it would become. But uh, that's why I like doing these episodes because you look back at what was happening and look and behind the scenes and in, in uh, the history of the company and 
you know, up and down, up and down. And this was, uh, this was not a great time uh, for the business. They were cutting people's salaries uh, at this point, asking them to take less money. And they were also transitioning from kind of that family entertainment thing going to, uh, you know, a more, I guess, say adult-themed uh, product where you saw there, you know, you had the uh, the ladies in the ring with the cards and, and wearing, you know, at the time, very, very skimpy bikinis. And uh, that was, it was changing. And I, I recognized that as well. I, I really preferred it when we were just reaching out to kids and, uh, you know, they got, had their superheroes, basically, and the superstars. Um, but it was a changing world and it was all about business and uh, Vince McMahon was, you know, and the rest of that company where they were, they were in business to make money. And, uh, that's, that's what they did. So I hope you enjoyed that episode of Monday night raw from February 1st, 1993. A lot coming out this week, folks. We still got uh, an original episode of prime time with Sean Mooney on Wednesday, this Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And then also we uh, have uh, an episode from The Vault that shows up every Saturday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. So that is certainly something to watch out for. Uh, Big shout out to our Patreon members. Folks, if you have not had an opportunity to visit our Patreon membership page, please do so. Uh, You can get uh, the podcast for as little as $4.99 a month. You can get uh, all the episodes as we put those out every week. Uh, the uh, Network Classic, the original episodes, and of course the Vault episode. Uh, absolutely early, 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 ad-free as well. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, for many people, they don't like to hear those ads, man. That's, uh, that's great. And also with Patreon, we have uh, higher tiers that you, uh, you get all those perks that come with it. And we've got, um, uh, I believe, a watch-along coming up this Sunday that uh, you can get more details by going to our Patreon page and find out more about that. And, of course, we'll be putting more out on social media, at Primetime Mooney on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, also you can email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's primetimemooney at gmail.com. Oh, I should mention, <laughs> I forgot to tell you where to go on Patreon. Patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Uh, enjoyed it once again. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out. Have a great one.